Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly award-winning podcast where we talk about the Bible and make playlists. I'm Matt Gato, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church and Campus Ministry in Los Angeles, California. It's the internet's only award-winning lectionary podcast. I'm Zach Ferris. I'm the pastor of Luther Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado and America's finest and only institute of higher education in the Buddhist tradition, Naropa University. Uh, today we have, uh, we have a guest, Matt. Yeah, do you want to introduce our guest? No. Okay. Our guest, Matt, before we introduce them, uh, is an award-winning uh, campus pastor. This is just, wow, there are a lot of awards. This is a shiny podcast. Uh, all the awards, all the trophies, all the hardware. Uh, and I believe, unlike us, Matt, two award-winning campus pastors here, uh, this campus pastor's award was not only uh, a shiny piece uh, plated in bronze, uh, but, but cold hard cash. I believe, uh, cash money prize. Uh, today with us is a uh, uh, award-winning campus pastor, aspiring. No, oh, well, we're going to wait. <laughs> Don't blow the uh, aspiring politician, uh, uh, globe trotter uh, with the basketball. I believe he played for the Harlem Globe Trotters, and that played an important role in winning the award. It is the Reverend uh, Ray Ranker. Hey, guys. Glad to join you this week. All the way from Maryland, hot, humid, blah, Maryland. Maryland in July, they say, is really that's that's the time you want to be there. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd rather be in Los Angeles or in Boulder at this uh, time of year. But um, of course, hanging out with you guys—nothing to do with the weather. But uh, yeah, but, but, no, you know, Zach, you you got me some with some good ideas. I mean, I just need to create some snazzy sounding awards for my students. And yes. then like, you know, oh, giving the testimony this week, the award winning. Yes. Do it. Even reflectionist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like it. It's a long way. But, but Maryland is, uh, are you, a, you're a, a native, are you a native Marylander? I know you're, you're an alumnus of, uh, of, of the university of Maryland at college park. You know, you just asked me a really important question that it just scrambled totally. So I, I totally missed that question. <laughs> no worries. One thing uh, everybody knows, Maryland is known for crab cakes, football, and reliable high-speed internet. Um, are you... <laughs> I know you're an alumnus. Thank you, Wedding Crashers, for that quote. <laughs> we can claim to and pretend to have awesome football. Um, you know, lacrosse would be more apt, but, you know... I we'll painfully remember 2001. Are you a native Marylander? Uh, yes, I was born in Virginia, but when I was three, we moved to Maryland. And um, other than when I'm living abroad or going to seminary, it's it's been Maryland all the way. Maryland, my Maryland. <laughs> Do you uh, you know Virginia is my favorite part of Maryland? <laughs> 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 Horse racing? Do you do the horse? Which one's the horse? I always forget the one that's not the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Pre right. Preakness? Is that in Maryland? Exactly. Pimlico Preakness um, in, in downtown Baltimore. Although they threaten every year that like, oh, we're going to move it because you guys aren't making enough money. At one point it was because we didn't have slot machines and gamb legalized gambling. And so, oh gosh, let's, let's quickly pass that through. So... So who knows how long it'll be here, but yeah. So speaking of, Ray, you have been an aspiring, you ran a political campaign recently, yeah? I did. Um, and like so many others before me, I lost by a lot of votes. 
you know, I... What were you running for? Yeah, I was running for the Maryland House of Delegates. It's, it's essentially like our, our, our state house of representatives. And um, I did the idealistic, and I thought maybe more realistic, but it turned out to be not super realistic thing of running as an independent... I mean, I think many of us agree that the two-party system is flawed and, and would love to get what? some other voices in there. I know. I, I know this is news for you guys. <laughs> um, actually, I know Colorado has a lot of, has a pretty strong independent movement, That's but true. it's still still hard to to crack in there. We, I knocked on about 10,000 doors, talked to a lot of great folks, um, and lost by about 12,000 votes is what I was uh, thinking would be my, I needed about 12,000 more. Um, so, uh, it wasn't for a lack of trying, but uh, I didn't accept any big donations. I didn't accept any money from businesses or super PACs or, or PACs, any kind of PACs. But really, the hard part was folks just, a lot of folks go to the ballot and they say, I don't know who this independent is. I, I don't know who the Democrat and Republican are either, but at least I, you know, is that person really a, a Democrat pretending to be an independent? Is that person really a Republican pretending to be an independent? It's safer just going with the, the party I know. So which one were you pretending to be an independent? <laughs> I, I don't agree with that question. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but it was a great experience, I, I, uh, and I continue to be active in, in the community in different ways. There's a lot of exciting ways to be a part of change and I didn't here's also a novel thing I didn't go around trashing my opponents and uh, so they a lot of them I mean I had a I had some good relationships with almost all of the the other folks running um, on the Democratic side and on the Republican side a lot of good people so uh, still find ways to, to be connected and, and help out where I can in addition to of course being a full-time campus pastor and uh, <laughs> a father of two young kids a uh, four-year-old and a two-year-old shout out to david and lucia one day when we let you play on the internet maybe you'll find this <laughs> they're um, big fans of the pod yeah actually yeah right that's we tune in every every week yeah uh, they're the target demo in between, in between barney and daniel tiger we will come on over to the podcast so love dt how, how did the uh how did that experience I want to say, how did it change you? I'm sure, like a core level, but did it? What did you take away from it? Like, did it change the way that you think about your approach to change and things like that? I learned a lot. Certainly learned a yeah. lot. Um, I'll, I'll share a couple of my my favorite experiences. But one thing I learned is that so many people, like the personal connection, is so important. It's it, mm. I met people who said, you know. I don't I don't agree with you on this issue, that issue, or that issue. But you know, you took the time to come to my door, and and I, nobody's done that for 16 years, so you got my vote. Uh, I think you know so much about politics. I mean, running a campaign and legislating are completely different skill sets, and yeah. so somebody could be really good at being a legislator, but a terrible campaigner, and then it might mean that they'll never never get in. Um, and and vice versa, you might get somebody in there who really isn't a good legislator, but they had the skills to get in there. So that was really really powerful. Everybody in in the trainings I did, it, they said, "Hey, don't spend all your time researching the issues. Don't really get super into policy stuff. Just go meet people. Spend all of your time that you can meeting people and talking to people. And as much I think it kind of makes us cringe a little bit, right? Like you're not." somebody running to, to be in your state Congress, 
I didn't, you know, I didn't have a huge full grasp of every single issue, even the issues that I really cared about. There was tons more I could learn, and it was important, more important, you know, at that time to be out meeting people, hearing people. A couple I'll just share. I think about half a dozen people that I knocked on their doors. They answered the doors partially clothed, um, some more partially than others. Uh, there were quite a few that I, I uh, wanted to tell them it's okay if they put on pants before they <laughs> answer the door. Um, then uh, there, there, was, there was a guy who uh, answered the door who, who, his first question to me was, do you think 9-11 actually happened? <laughs> you know, it's one of those, uh-oh. <laughs> woo, woo. Uh, warning, warning. <laughs> And, um, you know, after claiming that Facebook had altered the 9-11 videos, I didn't feel like it was really going to help to mention that Facebook wasn't around in 2001. (laughs) But, um, you know, uh, and and after he told me Parkland, the Parkland shooting didn't happen, the Newtown shooting didn't happen, I said, okay, I'm going to slowly back up now. (laughs) And, you know, it's funny because I told him I disagreed with him. And um, and then I said, well, sir, I strongly disagree with you. Um, I I wish you a a pleasant day. And and he says, well, you know, I don't like the other candidates running. So you still got my vote. Um, wow. I did not ask him. I did not ask him if I could put a sign up in his yard. I, was, I figured that that would no, probably no. not be a good one for the neighbors. But I really did. Those stories aside, I, I really did meet a lot of good people who uh, just really. I mean, they want to see positive change. They want to see movement on a lot of the issues they care about. They feel a lot of people feel disenchanted uh, with the system isn't really serving them. And so I also, I met a veteran who opened up to me about how his PTSD was just affecting him, especially around the 4th of July. I remember knocking mm-hmm. on his door last year about, you know, either this time or I can't remember it was right before or right after. I knocked on the door of a guy who in our conversation asked, what, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And he shared with me that his his wife had died recently after a long battle of cancer, and just how how hard that was. And we had a chance at the door to be just to just to listen and to be there in that that time of hurt for him. So, I mean, a lot of powerful experiences. Yeah, I don't know if that really answered your question, but just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I uh, I've started to develop a, a summer reading program. Uh, Ray, uh, that I found really helpful in the past couple of years. You read only only in the summer. You ready? Okay, yeah, right. And it, I will uh, will only read books that have nothing to do with the church, right? Uh, so yeah. a couple of years ago, I got super into water rights in the West because that's a oh my gosh! Did you guys see uh, Bureau of Land Management headquarters is moving to Grand Junction from DC? Big thing today in the state. Uh, yeah, then, we're, I, you know, we want to keep our jobs here in, in D.C. and Maryland. Well, it's and a course, facade for them to cut payroll and to, to lay off a bunch of people because only like 27 jobs are moving. And But uh, so I got super into, into water rights. Uh, I got super into trees. This year I'm reading about the legend of the Colorado grizzly. And, and one of the, the things that I enjoy about 
immersing myself in something that has nothing to explicitly to do with the life of the church is then you get to do the fun work of trying to figure out what does what do water rights have to do with uh, the life of the church and with campus ministry? What do trees have to do with us? What did you learn uh, from your political uh, experiment here, your, your, your endeavor? What did you learn about campus ministry uh, or ministry in general and vice versa? Well, you know, and I have to say, Zach, too, it's, I, I do appreciate also reading, especially in the summer, things that have, have nothing to do with the church. And it's kind of like when you're, you're sharing a story in a, a sermon, and everybody's like, what the heck is this? Where is this going? I do not see how this person is. And then, and you then mean when you're preaching a sermon, right? Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, sometimes I actually am able to like somewhat tie it in, but... It's like, oh, I want to, I want to somehow work this uh, really awesome story that I just read about. Uh, uh, I was just reading a Malcolm Gladwell book that a lot of these short stories about, you know, why there is a huge number of varieties of mustard, but really Heinz ketchup is like the ketchup mm-hmm. in the world. Maybe I can work that into a, a sermon oh, somehow. I like it, yeah. Uh, well, things that, that I think, uh, other than some of those those stories and, and really the pastoral care that sometimes, you know, happened on the, the campaign trail, maybe that wouldn't be something that other people would use those words, but being there, I, I, so related to the, the personal connection was just listening. And I can't tell you how many times part of every time I knocked on somebody's door before I talked about me and I'm going to give a little intro you know, hi, I'm Ray Ranker, I'm running for this. You know, in order to get big money out of politics, that was my my emphasis. But I said, but I want to know about you and the things that you care about. What are some of the issues on the state level that you care about? Probably about half the folks were just sort of like, oh, uh, well, nobody's asked me that. And so kind of surprised. And then, and then they might even try to be like, well, what do you think about this? And I know probably some of them think I was trying to be careful in what I said, try to get an idea of what they cared about before I started just spouting things off. But no, I genuinely, genuinely wanted, I didn't want to talk about the issue and then frame the, the discussion around that. I wanted to actually hear what what they cared about and what, what they thought about it. What was important to them? I don't want me to have to tell you what I think is important. I want to know what's important to you. And one person, I thought it was interesting. So say about that with ministry too and how much how do we make sure that those the spaces are open to hey what's important to you what uh, i just had a student we went to taze france and we were talking with one of the the brothers um and she basically she she said to the to the brother when he was talking she she literally said as a former atheist i can tell you that that is uh, are we allowed to cuss on this uh, podcast yes um, <laughs> she said that's a load of shit yeah. um, there's no way people out in the real world real world think that that's a load of shit she, she later she said to me I'm so sorry that I, <laughs> I cussed at that I was like no that was real You that was yeah. real authentic like, um, and, and needed to be said so you know how do we make sure that there, the spaces that we inhabit can be places where real things that matter are shared and not just you know what i seem to to think is is important um 
I think that that's certainly one of the one of the big takeaways in terms of relating to campus ministry. I also think it's interesting. I mean, one of I think the paradoxes for me and and running for office. I wouldn't say paradox. I mean, I always have. I want people to come out and vote, right? The more people to vote, the better. That's that's what I hope for. As long in, as in they agree election. with me, right? Well, and and not necessarily that they agree with me, but so many. Not folks, you, right? Me. Me. Oh, Zach, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you're a Zach-approved uh, <laughs> voter, so many of the folks who came out then, they knew who they were voting for governor. Maybe they knew Senate. Maybe they knew House of Representatives. Less people knew state senate, and by the time you got to my race, the the overwhelming majority. In fact, one of the when I called up one of the candidates there, uh, who had won, and he said, he he actually had told me that uh, by by their numbers, oh, I think it was over three quarters of the people who went out and voted were just low information voters mm-hmm. who really went went to that place, and and so that's obviously hard for me as an individual. Then it's like. You know, these people didn't know anything about me or anybody else when they went to vote. So I think about that, too, in terms of campus ministry loosely connected, I guess. Just, I mean, we do want as many people to come out, and we especially want the people who don't know anything. Like, mm-hmm. how great is that? But then it makes me wonder, too, in our in our worship, in our sermons, in our things that people connect to, are we, are we sharing something that they can connect with, that they can... Um, that makes sense that makes sense to them yeah no it sounds i mean it sounds your experience resonates a lot with my experience in campus ministry uh between your ten thousand uh knocks there uh or i mean what would you say thirty thousand forty thousand knocks i mean you don't knock once but uh then we have so well, many I know, and i know you've gotten thrown out of like Half the dormitories at, at, at Colorado because they just were like, "Hey, man, you got to stop knocking people's doors." <laughs> I got to get this number figured out, right? I'm, I'm knocking fifteen, twenty times. You know, that's way too much. Uh, uh, but all the all the conversations you have with students, right, that you're never going to see again. Uh, that that insight into uh, students don't sit down when I have coffee with a student for the first time. They're not like so atonement theory. Let's get into it. And not that that stuff's not important, uh, but that need the need to be heard. Yeah, and the dynamics of, uh, or at least here in Boulder, right, uh, of really it feels at times, right, like our ministry is kind of an independent uh, because we don't fit easily into the categories that most folks on campus have about uh, what religious groups, and especially Christian groups, are like. So I think that's fantastic. But to shift gears for a bit, you are uh, the 2019 James Carr Distinguished Service Award winner, uh, which is given to I those. I think everybody just felt bad for me for losing the election by, by so much. They said, well, what, we need to lift up this guy's spirits. Let's. That's how they. That's what they did for us as well. Uh, they felt, they're like, hey, nobody is listening to these guys. Let's. Uh, <laughs> um, Appreciate it. Uh, but it's given to those uh, who demonstrate excellence in ministry, foster engagement with others, and have an adventuresome enthusiasm for travel abroad uh, and exude a passion for integrating a wider worldview into their local ministries. Ray, you've taken folks, uh, you mentioned Taze, you were in Central Europe, I believe, uh, with good friend of the pod, Ann Murawski. Uh I know you've done Holy Land stuff. My question 
as a person who, who leads these sorts of trips, uh, they're not award-winning trips by any means, uh, but I've seen the budgets uh, for these kinds of trips and the numbers are pretty big. Why do you take students uh, on these really expensive trips around the world? One thing I have to say is that we've been pretty pretty lucky to have some, some grants that help make it a lot less expensive for the students and affordable for the students. And for a lot of folks, it's their first time out of the country or maybe if it's not their first time, it's their first time where it's not just like a touristy, hey, let's go see the sites and, and get some get some pictures. The, the primary, I mean, I'd, I'd say that one of the biggest things that's made such a huge impact in my life uh, has been traveling abroad, living abroad, and just seeing how big the church is and how just really amazing and mind-blowing the people of God around the world are. And I'd say also experiencing being out of my comfort zone, experiencing what it's like to be a guest in somebody else's house of worship or somebody else's house, to, to just experience that hospitality uh, has always made me think a lot more about God's hospitality and, and what that's, what's, what's that like. Um, and I, and We'll even get into it a little bit with the texts for for this week, but I just you can I could talk all I want about how we're a part of a church that transcends time and place. That we're we're a part. You know, this isn't just the church that meets on Sunday night at the University of Maryland, but this is this is God's church that's so much bigger than any of us. Where this church is going, we don't need cars. As Doc Brown once said. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, uh, but to get people there, to get people where we were on Pentecost, we were worshiping in Hungarian, and I remember several of the students just being like, I didn't understand a thing that went on there, but I felt God's presence maybe even more than I did at your service, where you lead, Pastor Ray. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't say that. Of course they were they thinking it, that. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I think that that's a, just a huge, a huge part of it. One of the interesting things also that I find on the trips we take is, I mean, in Hungary, we really, we dove into the Roma population and, and just some of the systemic injustices that they've experienced for, for centuries. And I think sometimes it's easier for folks to be out of their own context to really see that and start thinking about systemic injustice, for example, and then hopefully to take that experience to be able to advocate and and you know have a new awareness and understanding for for those those people and places, but then also then take a more closer look at their own their own settings to see where where is the injustice happening here? What are the systemic injustices right here in my own place? Like we're really good about not talking about those or sweeping those under the rug or uh, I'm just it's my context so I'm just busy with all these other things I don't have time for that and so I found that that can be a launching off point for for folks and to really get that you know that local that global and local connection to uh, to borrow the phrase used by the ELCA and others so you know and I think we just really I just think about God in in so many different and expansive ways when I have these experiences outside of what I'm used to. And I get some good stories to, to then 
sharing a sermon that may or may not connect to uh, the, <laughs> the people yeah. wish was in Hungarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't fall asleep during the Hungarian worship, even though. No. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, well, I think it's time uh, for us to hit the bell, uh, which means, of course, that it is time for the text. Matt, uh, do we want to just want to jump into the gospel, jump into Luke here? <laughs> You don't want to do Hosea? We can touch on it. We have some you, limited time today with the you interview. Had so, you had so much stuff for Amos last week that I just assumed you'd done a deep dive. I have done a deep dive on Hosea. Okay, okay fine. We're talking about Hosea. Uh, and we get the opening <laughs> chapter of Hosea. So here's my advice, uh, preacher. This week, don't print off the reading and hand it to somebody three minutes before the service because it has the word whoredom multiple times. <laughs> Especially because don't hand it to like a youth, maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Hosea comes in real hot. Uh, but it's good and interesting, and it represents the mercurial nature of God. Uh, it's that whole uh, Dr. King thing, right? Things There's a tension of law gospel, but in the end, it bends towards justice, uh, and it bends towards the God who refuses to let us go, even though God is very upset uh, with us and with the people in Hosea. Yeah, I, you know, when we, we were having our... our first child and our second child we thought about a good biblical name like <laughs> forsaken or um, not my people you know and honestly actually funny enough uh, my my daughter's name is lucia but one of the names in in spanish that i really love is soledad i love mm -hmm. how it sounds soledad but it means solitude and i thought uh, yeah. maybe yeah. maybe not what i you know <laughs> when my child learns what what their name means like um yeah. But <laughs> there's nothing to go yeah. there. There was a 30 Rock episode where Liz Lemon was eating chips that were Sabor de Soledad. Fun <laughs> uh, <laughs> fact, by the way, Liz Lemon, yeah. a graduate of the University of Maryland. Yeah. Hey! hey you know, there just, you go. Okay, sorry. There we go. Get, get the plug in. <laughs> oh. I'm we can talk about the important things. Yeah. No, that's a. Uh, I'll say this. It's not a text that I have used uh, in, in our Sunday evening worship services. I mean, we're not worshiping in uh, July during the during the summer months. But it's it's not one that I thought, you know, we this should really be my my preaching text uh, during the school year. I mean, I think I think there how how you would preach on Hosea, I think, is to engage it as an incredibly human text. And you can hit on the reality that at least I'm experiencing uh, is here at the, uh, the the dad corner of the podcast, that I vacillate between uh, naming my child, you are forsaken, and the kind of love that we get at the at the end of this uh, end of this uh, reading. And at my best, I think that I hope that it always ends in that. Uh, but as someone who just did a 15 hour road trip solo with a three year old, uh, I can attest that 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 I feel this way and I can feel that way. Uh, and it's important to say that it's okay to feel that way, uh, mm -hmm. but also important to say that it ends uh, always in embrace. So I think there's something incredibly human and hopeful that can be redeemed from Hosea. Just again, let your readers know we're going to be talking about whoredom. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I agree completely, Zach, in that. And just how, how beautiful it is for somebody who, you know, thinking about God, who God cares about things. You know, it's yeah. not like God's just chilling out and like, eh, whatever. You want to <laughs> do that? That's fine with me. Like, that's cool. No, like God, God really cares about this. God cares about justice. God cares about how we're loving our neighbors or not. God cares about war crimes. 
right? That's that's uh, what's going on in the the Valley of Jezreel. But and at the end of it, like God, what does it mean that God still loves us in spite of? But I I have to say when I think about preaching on this text, I think about that student that I just mentioned who would just be like. Okay, that's a bunch of shit. Like, <laughs> don't give me that. Like, yeah. Um, uh, no, no, hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> like, oh, come on, give me a break. This is like a really terrible, abusive. Like, uh, is this really the the? It wouldn't be the image of God that I would want most people to to have uh, as their primary image. But so maybe more like a Bible study than the the preaching text that I would choose. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's weird, even just liturgically, like as a lectionary text, it's a strange choice. I mean, it's your first reading. This is how you're going to kick it off. Even if you don't preach on it, like <laughs> it's just sitting there. It's just going to sit there in the worship service. Like, <laughs> like afterwards, you're like, are, are we not going to talk about that? Like that just, right. what just happened. Right. And then you end it with word of God, word of life. And everybody's <laughs> right? like, eh, thanks. Uh, thanks. I, yeah. uh, Maybe. I uh, have the misfortune this week of actually uh, doing some sabbatical coverage at a place that uses the narrative lectionary. And the narrative lectionary makers are no better than the RCL folks. Uh, because this is Good Friday and the narrative lectionary. Yes. <laughs> it's Jesus in the garden here in the middle of the summer. Uh, so, yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll find something super hopeful and summary <laughs> to talk about. But, you know, and I, I wonder, I, this is a question for you guys. I mean, so we're a, we're a center, center based. And so we do worship on Sunday nights during the school year. And so we don't really have, I mean, the lectionary doesn't make a ton of sense because you're just missing then mm-hmm. five months total of, of the year. Right. And so you only get certain chunks. So we don't, we don't follow the, the lectionary all the time. And Sometimes I feel like, all right, we have, what, 14 or 15 weeks is our semester? So I get 15 weeks, and maybe some of that is, is Easter, right? Some of it is Lent, some of it is Advent. But when thinking about what text to choose and thinking also about what, what folks need to hear, I think I often will skip over some of these harder passages, and, and maybe there are only one every, every semester, and on the one hand, that's a judgment call. On the other hand, is that in the best interest of, of folks? Is it real? Uh, is it, you know, just avoiding for the sake of avoiding? Or, or is it really because there is a, something more important to, to, to talk about? I you know. So I struggle with that. I don't know if you, you have that. I feel a little more, I, I feel like in this context, uh, as just a campus pastor, a little more free because to engage in those things, I'd be more likely to choose to preach on this text than I would on like the Good Samaritan because I think there's more honesty to the conversation when when someone will say this is bullshit versus I don't think everybody likes the Good Samaritan or whatever uh, and it makes sense and we can all intellectually agree with it but that I think that, that in, in my, my place, I feel a lot of freedom to really engage the prickly ones that in congregational life I'd be less enthusiastic about engaging. I think it would depend for me on the life of the community, right? I mean, it's yeah. that same thing, being being connected and, and knowing where your community's at. So 
you know, would I preach on this or the Good Samaritan? I, would, I, I think it depended on what else we're dealing with at that time, right? Is, it, is this a week where I actually need, like, a, like um, I mean, not that the Good Samaritan is a light text, but something where people are going to kind of nod their heads and go, okay, yep, we got it. Or is this going to be a week I'm going to, like, tackle something really challenging? It's just going to depend on kind of where we're at in our own narrative, you know, where we're at in our own life as a community. It's just, yeah, it's going to depend. It's a good cop-out answer, but... It's true. <laughs> no, but fair enough. Well, and I, I, I have to say my, my, I think my preaching philosophy has changed over the years so that, and I, I mean, I'd love to go this in depth some other time, but just to share that one of the things that I do more now is cater the sermon around the person who's going to be there for the first time and maybe, maybe the only time, but for the first time. And so it does mean maybe not going as in-depth or not assuming some underlying knowledge that, that would help go in-depth uh, and, and really kind of the philosophy of like small groups that we, the small groups that we have and, and, and other kind of Bible studies as being the time that's going to be more in-depth, but the preaching is, is really, what does it mean? And we talk about this with the leadership team, right? What does it mean that preaching and, and other aspects of our worship are really geared towards accessibility, not in a way that means it's dumbed down, but just in a way that somebody walking in isn't going to be like, what the heck is going on here? So in that vein, too, I, I this be the one I would choose to, to preach on? Probably not. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is is weekly worship your primary weekly gathering of your community there at Maryland? I think you, yeah, we would say that it's a large group yep. gathering for sure. Um, but we do have... I mean, our small groups don't always involve people who come on Sunday nights, mm -hmm. so so it doesn't always overlap like nicely in, in that way. Yeah, I wonder. It's mostly because of what I inherited in the situation we're in. Uh, our primary weekly gathering is not worship; it's a midweek meal program kind of deal. And a part of a part of that, I think, is is, is you've lifted up that dynamic of, of preaching to the person who's there for the first time. We see what we do, one of the first levels of what we do, and, and I expect most folks who do campus ministry are engaged in a ministry of like belonging is one of the first most immediate needs that we're equipped to meet. And I wonder about worship in campus ministry, but also in the wider church, um, if worship is the best front door for the life of the church. I think it's, I mean, I have a preaching, but we're a co-host a preaching podcast. So clearly I think it's important, but making worship choices based on welcoming belonging are important. But, uh, but I do think there's some sort of line somewhere where keep worship weird, you know? Yeah. yeah, we, we, I couldn't agree more. And that's, I mean, we even, we've adopted language amongst our leadership team that I, you know, stole from somebody else, right. Um, that, we we think about everything we do in terms of whether it's an S zero, which means S is for spirituality. Is it is it a something that has zero spirituality? Is it an S one? Like it has some, but that's not the primary thing. Um, that might be like we're gonna go do a service project and we might pray beforehand, so that makes mm -hmm. it an S one. Versus if we would just go to a service project and there was no prayer, no talk about anything. God or Jesus, then that would be an S0. And then something, you know, and then worship, for example, Bible study, that's an S2, where it's a primarily spiritual content. And I agree completely that, you know, this, I, I want to say it's the older model of, of like, worship is going to be the thing that somebody comes to as their first 
connection point, their first thing, uh, is certainly not the case. And I couldn't agree more that we need to make sure we have some of those different kinds of connection points to meet people where they're at instead of, hey, this is the thing. I, I'm also thinking about it almost from the framing of like, we were talking about trips earlier and you think about what that might look like to get out of your context. What are we going to encounter today? What's on the itinerary? Is there something that's really going to challenge you? Um, if you're setting up a day's itinerary, is it going to be all challenge for 12 hours or are you going to like, how do you structure that? Right. And you could almost look at texts in a similar way. Like, okay, what have I got on the agenda today? And how do I want to frame those things for people? Do I want to just throw them in and talk about it afterwards? Do I want to frame it ahead of time? And sometimes it just depends on what, what you're facing, but I don't know. There is a softball. Uh, if you wanted to, if we want to call Hosea pretty challenging, uh, uh, and uh, the gospel could be soft. It's a little bit of both, right? Uh, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he finished, one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples." Uh, and then we get into the Lord's prayer, which could be a bit of a softball. One of my questions here: uh, What? Did, how did John teach his disciples to pray? Could we compare and contrast? Are there more options here? We know nothing of John's prayer. Uh, but then the challenging part for me, uh, you get another chunk there about uh, the little story of uh, someone coming in the middle of the night who needs to offer hospitality and asking for uh, three loaves of bread and the reluctant neighbor who finally, because of the persistence, gives the person uh, the bread. Uh, and so that ends with uh, a famous part that can be sticky and difficult for for. for the church these days ask and it will be given to you search and you will find knock ray this is your this is your patron text knock and the door will be opened for you did you wait always or did you just like you had to get ten thousand. so did you like knock and run to the next you like ding dong ditch much to get the numbers up or no you know that's you know that's a funny thing too is how many times did i knock and there's clearly somebody i mean it's like I can see you right there. Like I, I can tell you. Like it's not even like the I was. Oh, I was in the back. Uh, you know, I couldn't hear you, or uh, I'm in the kitchen busy. Like I see you watching TV right there. Like you don't have curtains, and you know. So yeah, um, I feel attacked here, Ray, personally. I know. I never looked into somebody's home like. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you see anybody crawling around on the floor? Because that's what I do, personally. I just hit, yeah. My response is to hit the floor uh, and just, there's a safe spot I know I can get to. I just got to army crawl there. No, no, yeah. And nobody, I, I was impressed, nobody, like, pretended like they saw me. I mean, it was just sort of like, oh, quick look away and just ignore, and maybe he will leave me alone. <laughs> so, you know... Maybe that's what maybe that's what God's you know that's what we're trying to find out here that that, that God's not like that God's like or you know about that persistence right mm -hmm. I I didn't really want to make it super awkward and then like knock and then kind of wave and then like knock again when they didn't come and just knock louder I think that but but maybe that's what we're doing with with God maybe that's what this is uh, this is about hey you know just keep at it let's keep at it you know Ray, if you didn't wear a backpack and a short sleeve white button-up shirt i think more people would have opened the door for you you know and you know dark black glasses and like a yeah you know the uh the ski mask really it, just, <laughs> it gets cold in maryland though <laughs> uh yeah well i mean 
I think, you know, this is another one of those texts where it's like, hey, can we can we be real for a minute? I mean, mm-hmm. there are those times that prayer is is amazing and and really where I fully 100, 100% believe, you know, the, the asking will be given to you. And then there's those times where 100% it hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. And, and I was pretty persistent in that. Um, I think about, and I share this, this story, I think about my, my aunt who I saw at, at Christmas and then soon after was diagnosed with metastasized lung cancer and given just a few weeks to live. And uh, she was she was a faithful Christian going to church every day, volunteering at her church, a spiritual person. And I know I and her her kids, my cousins and her grandkids. I mean, we were praying not just for spiritual and emotional health. We we wanted a physical healing. I, I was bold about praying for that and and honest. And and it didn't happen. And so. How do we live with those experiences in addition to those those other experiences where where the prayers are answered? Where wow, even in our wildest prayers, like this seems so out of out of possibility because God, you have just done something amazing, and sometimes we don't get that. One of the interesting things that happens here, uh, here in Luke, uh, so I said, you ask and it will be given to you. The other times that ask is used after this in Luke uh, in Luke is when the crowds ask for Jesus to be crucified, when the crowds ask for, for Barabbas to be set free, and when Joseph of Arimathea asks for Jesus' body. All of those requests are granted. Uh, so I think there's some interesting places to explore here. We read it, I think, on its face and assume that, that we are going to ask for benevolent things. Um, but that's not what the crowds ask for, and yet it's given to them. Uh, so I think there's something into uh, that's. I'm not sure exactly where where I want to go with that, but I think it opens up this opens up this interesting door. I love Matt's big size. <laughs> trying to figure out which direction to go. I mean, yeah, I think you've got a name. Definitely, people are coming. That, that sense of the if then ask it will be given. It makes it sound so simple, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's not always our experience in the world. So somehow you've got a name that or have something that'll hold that that experience, whatever the good news is, it's got to hold that experience within it. One of the other things I think is just really interesting is the way that, I mean, it gets to the heart of, of what is, what is prayer? What is prayer in the first place? I mean, we get, this has come up so many times lately around thoughts and prayers and is that good enough? And what do we do with that? Um, and I, I think it's so interesting because this actually like involves human beings in, in it names the role of human beings in that act of prayer we're activated in the act of prayer. It, it makes me think of when the community gathers for prayer, when we do prayers of the people, the community is naming the things that the community cares about. We're naming those things that are important to us. Uh, and that naming like activates us, right? It activates us even beyond that moment of prayer. And I think that, that I mean, that's the Holy Spirit working within us, however you want to chase that theologically. Um, but I think there's just some really interesting there's just some really interesting stuff about that and what prayer looks like. It isn't just sending a wish list and wait for something to happen, um, but it's something that like surfaces the things that really matter to us, and that shapes the way that we it shapes the way that we live. I'm uh, intimidated and a bit fearful of a reality where I'm given the things that I ask for. I think a lot of times I ask for things I don't I don't really want. So I'm interested. I mean, yeah. 
So maybe that tied with that that middle story about the persistent neighbor and and maybe flipping that a bit, right? I, I more often find myself uh, to be like the guy behind the locked door crawling around on my stomach uh, to avoid giving bread. So if I'm on that side, perhaps God is the, the persistent one knocking and knocking and dragging me out the door eventually um, to live into the, the empowered being that God has called me to be, right? Uh, to be one who has the power to give bread. Um, yeah, I mean, it's embedded right here in, in Luke's words of the Lord's Prayer. And forgive us our sins, uh, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. I mean, there's something like I don't want embedded that. within it. It doesn't start. It doesn't start with our action, but I do think that God's action draws us in. It, it activates us for action in the world. I don't know. I just I think you could do some real unpacking of what exactly prayer is. Yeah. Do you have a good answer to that question, Matt? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Red? I've I've heard of uh, of course the the metaphor of what what if what if prayer is a little like the the magic eight ball in a sense that you know you. You get answers, but sometimes they're not the answers you want, or sometimes it's it's the hey, try back later. Um, you know, I think about in Exodus when you know we have that oh, God has heard the prayers, the cries of God's people the, who are in slavery, and and it just took forty years though, um, or however long it was, um, and. On the one hand, I mean, of course, like, right, I feel like here again, we're back into politics. How do you spin this? Like, on the one hand, like, oh, how amazing that that our prayers, I'm in no way suggesting that, that God's action depends on us, so don't hear me wrong on that. Um, I'm a good Lutheran here. But, you know, God is moved by a prayer that God can be, even God's mind can be changed or God can be moved to action by prayer and and we've seen that and I think I think many people have experienced that and so how to acknowledge and lift that up but also be like damn 40 years for that how many generations for that um, how can it be both this wonderful amazing powerful thing and also that really difficult uh, difficult thing this might be a good place where the Hosea can can pull us as well. Uh, that a part of what we said Hosea was about was was a clarity that God deeply cares about what happens in the world. Um, but I think another implication of that is that what we do matters. Uh, what we do in the world deeply matters and affects how we can live uh, together. How, affects how how deeply we can live together into the life God is calling us to live. Um, and so, so prayer perhaps is not simply asking for the things we want in a Santa Claus kind of way, but is perhaps more. Uh, Deeply about aligning ourselves in our world and our lives with the vision that God uh, is calling for us. I don't think that the the. I mean, there's a lot of literary stuff, right, with 40 years in the desert. Um, but how I might justify it is not to say that it was just an arbitrary number that you've got to wait 40 years, uh, but that maybe it takes it took the people 40 years uh, to find a way of, of of living in the land. Yeah, I feel like I just I encounter so much. Um, I encounter so many people that just think there's nothing that we can do, right? Like the world is this is messed up. There's nothing I can do about that. Um, and I and I always just like we have agency, you know. Like there are things we can do. We're not going to fix it all right now. Um, 
you know, and it's, but, but this idea that like, no, like God, but like we've been given, we have the power of God, you know, that this, then these things matter in the world. So, um, it's almost like prayer isn't just for God. Prayer is also for us, right? Prayer also shapes us. I think that's a, that's a piece of what's happening here. It's like God's going to ultimately, the ultimate, ultimate, give us what we need. But in the meantime, like we need to be shaped into people that are, that are active and engaged and invested in each other. Um, and I think mm-hmm. prayer helps us do that. Maybe the thing, uh, maybe it is the asking that will shape us, the asking itself that will shape us. Matt, we got to get to the most important part of the podcast, though. Uh, we got to get to the really important stuff. We've been talking about this inconsequential stuff. Matt, what are you listening to this week? What am I listening to? Well, <laughs> I just I saw that knock. I saw knock right there mm-hmm. in Luke, and then y'all have been talking about knocking on doors. So I, I just, I had to throw a knocking on heaven's door uh, by Bob Dylan, even though it's not exactly uh, what's happening in this story. <laughs> just that line of uh, of knocking on heaven's door. I mean, that's a piece of it, right? So yeah. I gotta, I gotta do that. I gotta I do like that classic, classic you song. Weren't, you weren't gonna go with it's a hard knock life. <laughs> you can go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Another good one, though. Yeah, yeah. Robert um, Dylan. Yeah, and then so many, um, so many songs about prayer. It was hard to, hard to pick, hard to pick one. But um, our one of our beloved bands, Zach, that we have seen live, Heim. Heim. Song with Calvin Harris called "Pray to God." So we got to throw Heim in there just because they're so incredible. Um, and then even an artist that uh, you know is known for a lot of pop hits, but. Uh, recently, she had a single called Praying, uh, Kesha did, and it was a really uh, powerful video uh, and an actually powerful song about um, professional abuse that she had encountered. And so I think that uh, not only a song about prayer, but a song that might uh, hit some of those Isaiah themes or Hosea themes uh, as well. So a couple songs. I like it. I like it. Ray, You, uh, what are you spinning this week? Well, you know, I thought about kind of along that same line and and that question about what happens thinking about especially when when the prayers don't come answering or or when we're in those really tough times uh just one of my favorite songs i just think it's a beautiful song is by natalie grant it's called held and uh, um uh yeah along that that same theme but it is it's a it's a heavy one because it it doesn't it doesn't pretend that everything is all hunky dory. It's um, I, I think there's a realness in that that you don't always get in in some of the uh, uh, Christian songs. I didn't have anything else that was really that. <laughs> no, that was the best thing I thought of. I like it. I like it. I uh, I'm going to stick the Smiths on with a song called "Ask." Shyness is nice, and shyness can stop you from doing all the things in life you'd like to. So if there's something you'd like to try, if there's something you'd like to try, ask me. I won't say no. How could I? Uh, a fun song. I'm also going to do, uh, here you go. I'm going to do some Waylon Jennings. Uh, you ask me to uh, let the world call me a fool. But if things are right with me and you, that's all that matters. And I'll do anything you ask me to. Uh, and finally, uh, in the spirit of Hosea, uh, I've been doing a lot of Lizzo lately. So I'm doing more Lizzo. Uh, Truth Hurts uh, is what... What Hosea is saying to the people here, uh, truth hurts. I got a DNA test. I'm 100. percent I've seen the. I've liked the uh, the the meme things of. Uh, uh, I've had a DNA test, and I'm 100 percent Jewish. 
It works. Jewish. Uh, so there we go. We got a playlist. We got a good list here. We got a good combo. I like it. We got to get up here, man. Get up. It's been real. Well, Matt, uh, I do want to conclude here at the end of the summer that if you uh, have a student, uh, an incoming student who's headed to, I don't know, University of Maryland College Park, Southern uh, University of Southern California, Boulder, or anywhere where we do campus ministry, go to www.elcacampusministry.org where you can refer them to over 200 campus ministry sites around the United States. Uh, But until next time, Matt, it's been real uh, vinyl.